0: Chapter Twenty-Eight of Policy and Passion. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Policy and Passion by Rosa Campbell Praed. Chapter Twenty-Eight. Tom Dungy gossips. Angela and Mister Ferris were alone at Coralbin. Even Sammy Deans had betaken himself to town and but for the occasional visits of the new chums and hands who were employed principally upon the outside cattle stations and did not interfere with the domestic arrangements the father and daughter enjoyed an almost uninterrupted tete-a-tete this time was a period of happiness to the old man he was in his softest most genial mood all jarring influences were removed and he forgot his hatred of longleat and jealousy of honoria in the sweet companionship of his daughter the intellectual dissipation of prolonged readings from his favorite poets and the artistic babbling which his soul loved he did not at first observe that angela was more silent than had been her wont when alone with him that her painting had no longer the old absorbing charm or her books their fascination but he noticed that she watched anxiously for the arrival of Dungie and the opening of the mailbag and that she eagerly devoured her stepmother's gossiping epistles descriptive of balls picnics and miss Longleat's conquest heretofore merely provocative of listless scorn but now rendered fatally pungent by the frequent allusions to barrington which they contained he was dimly awake also to a change in the girl's face the old dreamy rapture which had made it appear that of being set apart from the commonplace interests of life had softened and vivified into an exalted passion that may be best described by comparing it with the expression which animates the features of a nun who realises all the yearnings of her human nature in fervid communion with her spiritual spouse so hardress barrington was the lord of angela's innermost sanctuary the sun towards which she like she must look or die and while at first her heart glowed and expanded with this sense of glorious ecstasy after a time as hope of his return waned her physical strength faded and she was no longer equal to the long rambles beneath the silver wattles and moaning she-oaks among bracken fern and tall grass in which she had formerly found her deepest inspiration her father remarked that her step failed and unwilling to admit that she was too weak to walk made a pretext of wishing to explore the surrounding country more closely and mounting her upon a quiet pony made her accompany him in his excursions among the hills and glens upon these occasions it was always he who talked most look angela he would say as they drove dreamily over the flat where the quiet kine lifted their round eyes and gazed meditatively upon them as they passed look at yonder crag which stands out sinister and lurid against the copper-coloured sky there's a storm rising in the ubi ubi district but that has nothing to do with us it is old Nilperu, the spirit of the mountains, who broods vengefully over the desolation of civilization that is creeping on through the forests. Can you not mark his shadowy arms stretched forth in menace and rebuke above the tempest? My love, this is nature dramatized. For the artist every landscape contains the elements of a poem. Yonder bed of murky vapor streaked with foamy plashes, and shading off at the edges to rose, would be a grand subject for a painter or later he would exclaim angela will there never be an australian Ossian to strike a wild note in tune to the cry of the curlews the moan of swamp oaks the rushing of streams the hum of butterflies and sighing of leaves is nature to be always eloquent here and art mute and so they would ride on and on through the many-visted forest among the aromatic gum-trees with their thickening stems and whispering foliage till the air in the woods seemed to angela full of forms and voices and she knew not which was living she or they and sometimes in the very heart of the bush she would hear barrington's voice addressing her and her own replying in words that seemed the outcome of her soul and often she fancied that they had passed out of this strange inconsistent life which was alternately a dream of bliss and of vague dissatisfaction to the true dream-world that to her was so much more real and where there was no waking pain of neglect father she said suddenly one day when they were riding musingly together through the trees what does it feel like to die to die repeated mr ferris ay there's the mystery that mortal minds cannot unravel whoever passes the borderland and returns to tell his tale all nature dies and we know not how or wherefore but what put such notions in your head fairy i was only wondering father whether death is pain or if it is no more than floating floating away into a lighter world just as i feel when i am tired and lie down in the grass beneath the cedar trees and the air seems full of perfume and the wind sighs gently through the branches till i can almost believe that it is an angel sobbing while the water sings like a chorus of distant voices and i fancy that i am angela no longer but a spirit going i know not whither is this like death angel said the old man regarding her with an expression of pained perplexity do not dream any more such dreams as these do not allow your soul to go floating up to high to the sound of nature's music the fairies would be glad to keep you child if they had the chance then there are fairies father you would never allow that before every poet has a myriad elves at his beck and call my love but here is the glen that you are so fond of and the hoya is all in bloom let us fasten up our horses and take a ramble among the rocks he lifted the fragile creature from her saddle and they crossed the slippery stepping-stones and followed up the windings of the stream till they had passed the rocky heads covered with grey lichen which guarded the entrance to the ravine it was the cleft in the mountains which Honoria with Barrington and the Bassets had visited some little while before several times during the Englishman's convalescence had he and Angela ridden there together and every rock and shrub seemed sanctified in the girl's heart by the association of his words and looks as the sides of the ravine closed in affording only a slender foothold upon a natural ledge of stone Angela clung to the hoya creepers which at this point tapestried the rugged walls here once barrington's arm had encircled her she could almost feel now the rapturous joy of the pressure which his touch communicated to her frame the air was heavy with the scent of hoya the rocks seemed to shut out the outer world what a spot in which to float away away from the embrace of a lover into the keeping of the mountain spirits when weakness and weariness would cease and the aching void in her heart would be stilled for ever she turned very pale her slight figure swayed and she would have fallen had not her father caught her my darling my darling he cried what is the matter but she had fainted mr ferris carried her to the side of the pool and bathed her forehead and chafed her limbs till the blood flowed slowly back to her cheeks i thought i thought he was calling me murmured angela incoherently as she opened her eyes and then everything grew dark he repeated mr ferris with angry bewilderment who is he you have overtired yourself my love i have kept you too long at curlbin without change that is it would you like to go away angela would you like to go to leichardt's town to leichardt's town she said vaguely and then a light broke over her face yes yes we will go there father i will arrange about it said mr ferris in a short time we will take a week's holiday you must remember that you are to be a great artist my love when you are a year older we will go together to italy think of that and you will become strong if i were a spirit murmured angela dreamily i might go whither i chose i could always be with those i loved they could not see me but it would be best so come father i am quite well now let us gather some hoya and then go home this fainting fit of angela's though he sought to convince himself that it was due to over fatigue and an abnormal mugginess of the atmosphere troubled mr ferris deeply why had she struck the keynote of death in so strange and suggestive a manner what had she meant by that incoherent allusion to an absent he had his artistic education his endeavour to cultivate the ideal at the expense of the material had the effect of loosening the frail cord which bound angela to the physical world when they reached home they found dungy unsaddling his horse by the stockyard fence good day mr ferris squeaked the mailman very quiet on the koorong now mr ferris the little pie ball don't seem to know the lay of the country kooralbin don't appear like the same station with all the womankind excepting miss angela there off of it and i'm thinking mr ferris that we ain't likely to see miss longleat up this er way in a hurry how is that asked mr ferris in a preoccupied manner you remember that ere long chap from england as were stopping here lord if i were mr dyson maddox i'd never let it be said that a black hat had cut me out sweetheartin i seed in a twinkling which way the wind was a blowin' when i met them all ridin agin the greek one day last march it is not all folks that understand women, and it's always those as ain't afeard of em that takes their fancy. That is true enough," said Mr. Ferris, waking up to some degree of interest. And so, Mr. Barrington is to marry the heiress. Is that the talk in Leichardt's town? There's more talked of nor that," replied Dungie confidentially. Folks says as the premier ud go to the devil for that black-eyed young woman as he took charge on again Doan and Cobb's coach from Cooja. "'You'll remember the evening, Mr. Ferris. uncommon dodgy to get her husband out of the way "'by giving him a billet at Gundaroo. "'Maybe he is in the swindle, too. "'But what has Sammy Deans got to say to it, Mr. Ferris?' "'Sammy Deans,' repeated Mr. Ferris. "'I heard he had taken a droving job. "'What is he doing at Leichardt's town?' "'That's more nor I know. Twere at Cooa, I seed them, again Brachers. "'Hello, Sammy.' i says to him chafing so longleat has let you out of quad at last lord i never see'd a man get so black in the face with rage i wouldn't be in the premier's shoes if sam ever gets the chance of pitching in to him twere he as told me that mr barrington were going to marry miss longleat they said he were wild with love of her that he followed her down and never give her no peace till she agreed to have him and it's the notion that he'll marry her offhand and take her to england the premier he is dead agin it so they goes out at night and does their spooning agin the bamboos inside the botanical gardens i'd a thought she were too proud for that sort of servant-maid's trick but there's no accounting for women when they've got a lover i says to sam twere a good dodge of longleats making mr valiancy police magistrate at gundaroo and says he Valency will be down in Leckhart's town before long, and they'll be the devil of a row. But what the dickens is Sam to know about it? That will do, said Mr. Ferris, gruffly. I don't like such talk before my daughter. There, give me the mail bag, and after you have turned your horse into the paddock, you may come down to the house for a glass of grog. Come, Angel, are you feeling ill again, my love? He asked anxiously, for the girl was standing motionless against the stockyard fence her eyes dilated and her face unnaturally pale she moved mechanically when she was addressed and followed her father to the house as soon as they had reached the veranda mr ferris opened the mail-bag which contained the weekly instalment of newspapers a letter of instructions from mr longleat and a short epistle from mrs ferris full of fussy anxiety about angela's health and only mentioning barrington as having accompanied them to a picnic to the bay a few days before the miseries of which she graphically described, and as having spoken vaguely of visiting Coralbin shortly. "'Father,' said Angela suddenly, in the midst of reading her stepmother's letter, "'do not tell Mrs. Ferris that I am ailing. Indeed, I am quite well, only always tired. And we will not leave Coralbin just yet, father. I would rather stay home.' "'The premier has written to me to examine Ross's fencing,' said Mr. Ferris, savagely lifting up his head from Longleat's note a curt peremptory command to take a ride of forty miles on business that a stockman could well do that is what it is to be at the beck and call of a master angela my darling next year we will free ourselves from the yoke of this degrading bondage let the old lady stay in australia with her best beloved and you and i will depart together in italy we will breathe an atmosphere of art and liberty that is what I have been dreaming of for so long. In January, next all my savings will come due in cash. My mortgages will close. Fifteen hundred pounds, my love, the fruit of ten years' slavery. That will keep us finally till my Angela has made herself known. My old aspirations will revive in you. I shall be a man once more, instead of a fawning spaniel. But I should like to crush him he added between his teeth to crush the brood before i go father said angela with a bewildered look of whom are you speaking what is the matter it is nothing my darling i am apt to become excited over trivial occurrences small slights pin-pricking insults it's a sign that i'm getting old my love what was it that dunchie said about barrington and miss longleat and their midnight strolls beneath the bamboos there's the old blood coming out the mother's blood and the father's she will come to harm so for her beauty he loves her and for the money's sake he will marry her pish it makes me mad to think of the power of wealth he went on mumbling for a few minutes then being suddenly called away to the store he turned before leaving the room and passionately kissed his daughter Trembling and faint with the pangs of a new-born anguish, Angela ran into the garden and threw herself on the ground beside the lagoon. The dull aching of an undefined desire had turned to the fierce pain of disappointment, all the keener for the reason that her previous exaltation had been entirely spiritual. She had worshipped Barrington as a mystic might worship a star, believing it to represent the particular divinity to whom he owed his being. The more terrestrial communion of marriage had never been actually present to her thoughts. In her childish imagination the future had been all dim. That she might be near him, watch his face, hear him speak, know that he held her in tender affection, had seemed bliss beyond expectation. Now a fierce jealousy of Honoria burnt into her very soul. Though she had not dreamed that she could be to him best and dearest, the certainty that another owned all his love was agony and transformed her from an abstract ethereal being a child of nature knowing nothing of human longings into a passionate woman had he not pressed her in his arms stroked her hair and bidden her love him to the heart of an innocent maiden what covenant could be more binding and now it was honoria whom he caressed but the postman's story might not be true Dungy was a gossip, and had probably listened to idle rumour, which had always made free with Miss Longleat's name. Mrs. Ferris had said that he had spoken of visiting Coralbin. Oh, he must come soon. She would beg him to hasten, and then she would tell him of the dull pain with which his absence had wearied her, of how her heart had yearned after him. And she would pray him to let her serve him, to be his sister, his slave. She could not dare say wife, and if she died of shame in speaking, the spirits of nature would bear her upwards and would tell the good God that she was but a harmless creature of the forest, like themselves, and had meant no wrong. It might be that he would grieve for her love and for her fate, and that when he walked by the river where they had strolled together, would think of her with tender pity. It might be who could tell that God would suffer her to hover still above her old haunts, and she might touch his hand and whisper in his ear angela is beside you she could not live without your love and he would fancy that it was a wind or the stream that spoke and would remember all that she had told him of nature's many voices that night when the moon shone upon her white chamber she rose and wrote a little letter angela's heart is aching and the days are long oh come back or take her to you she cannot live without your love she sealed her letter, and with her own hands placed it in the mail bag. Barrington received it one night upon his return from a long tryst with Honoria. The passionate, childish sentences touched him keenly. Innocent angel, he murmured, poor little white bush-flower. He held her tiny missive tenderly before him, smiling sadly as he pictured the trembling hands that had penned it. His eyes were dim as he tore poor Angela's confession into small shreds and watched it burning till it lay a little pinch of dust. "'I must write to her,' he said to himself. "'Poor child! What am I that I should have won her guileless heart? Love is a dream of heaven to her, my pure angel. She has steeped her soul in poetry. This comes of reading Laon and Sithna by the creek. I wish I had never gone to Coralbin.' i wish i had never kissed her and yet i'd as soon have fondled a pretty child who would have dreamed that she had any thoughts of love during the following week angela waited in trembling excitement for the mail day but before Dungie's arrival the news which he had borne received a vague confirmation from the lips of dyson maddox who having been a week or more at barramunda rode over in fulfilment of his promise to mrs ferris before his return to leichardt's town the old man had gone according to mr longleat's orders to examine ross's fencing and angela received dyson alone he had always been fond of angela though he like many others compassionated in her the visionary nature of her childlike intellect to-day a subtle sense of sympathy seemed to draw them towards each other are you quite well angela he asked kindly i promised mrs ferris that i would ride over and judge with my own eyes whether it would please you if she came back no replied angela almost pettishly let her stay in leichardt's town she cares for honoria more than for me it would not please me at all if she came back and indeed it is quite unnecessary still i am sure that you are ill or unhappy urged dyson tell your old friend what is amiss she looked at him for a moment while tears gathered in her eyes then turned away silently weeping something vexes you continued dyson you are grieved perhaps because your stepmother does not understand you grieved for that she repeated with a half scornful half amused inflection in her voice ah it is always so she added sadly not even those who know us best can read the language of our souls if we have yearnings they must forsooth be for something commonplace not for a good which is as high above us as the stars you are an artist angela said dyson gently and to you the ideal always possible is always present is it then only vague dissatisfaction with what seems to you mean and prosaic that makes you sad she shook her head it was impossible for her to reply it is the woman's heart not the artist's soul that bleeds i think that i am always sad she answered not more so now than usual it is because you yourself are unhappy that you imagine me to be so i am quick at reading faces i read trouble in yours you are right child replied dyson it is a relief to confess to you that i have a trouble though i do not know that it weighs more heavily upon me now than it did a little while ago i suppose that while there remains a hope of winning what one longs for it is impossible to resign oneself to absolute failure but one's own misery is nothing the real wretchedness lies in the doubt whether whether those we love have chosen wisely for their own happiness is it true asked angela turning very pale that mr barrington loves miss longleat there is no doubt of that and is there any doubt cried angela sharply that she loves him i wish i could say so but i cannot it is more than love it is unwholesome fascination he will marry her said angela quietly and then he will take her away to england she will have all his love and she must love him i am very sorry for you oh i am i am indeed then she suddenly left the room and he saw her no more till a few moments before his departure when she brought in the mail-bag. "'Why, Angela!' he exclaimed, as he watched her undoing the straps which held it, "'how your hand trembles! Do you expect ill news?' She shook out the letters and papers in a white, fluttering heap, and was taking away two directed to herself when he detained her. "'Stay. I am going away presently, and I do not feel happy about you. "'What shall I say to your stepmother?' Tell her not to mind about me. I am well, quite well. And she flew out of the house, away into the plain, where she buried herself among the long grass and began to read. She opened her stepmother's letter first. It contained affectionate injunctions to be in bedtimes, not to moon about the river, and to bid Keziah prepare beef tea and jelly for her nourishment. All this Angela scanned impatiently till she came to the concluding paragraph. Our gaieties do not flag. Honoria appears in full spirits and beauty, though somewhat worn as is natural by her dissipation. She is followed by an ever-increasing train of admirers whose hopes, alas for them poor souls, are doomed to disappointment. Last week, my dear, Honoria informed me that she had pledged her heart to Mr. Barrington. He is a fine fellow and I love him dearly. But I fear that parental opposition will darken their otherwise bright prospects of happiness. Mr. Longleat has set his face against the match. However, I have no doubt in my mind that time will soften his objections. The news is not, of course, made public. But I confided to my dearest Angela, whose heart will, I know, deal full measure of sympathy to her friend, Mr. Barrington. Poor Angela uttered a low moan, as though a cruel hand had struck her. Then she lifted Barrington's letter, and kissed the bold, clear characters of the envelope, and laid it down again, not daring to read her own death-warrant. At last she broke open the seal. It was written in warm, courteous language. A letter that might have been read upon the housetops, meant to be kind, but worse than cruel, informing her of his engagement, appealing for sympathy to her sisterly affection, ignoring the possibility of any deeper attachment and playfully alluding to future happy days which they he she and his bride would spend together in italy she flung herself upon the ground and deep-drawn sobs broke the stillness which reigned over the plain the wild birds hovered above the poor child's prostrate form the sun sank behind the hills turning the mountains to purple and casting golden gleams upon the lagoon and long shadows upon the sward the chill of night crept over the flat and the dew began to fall but still the stricken girl lay crushed to the earth with her misery End of chapter twenty eight read by celine Majore.